Today we're going to spend time in Ephesians chapter number 1. And if you have your little books with you, we're going to be reading this together. Again, we're going to actually read it every week. Alright? Now, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to challenge you to memorize it. You may say, I don't know if I could do that. Somebody here can. If you want to take up the challenge and memorize Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, uh, we will give you an opportunity even to share it with us when you're ready. All right? I, I seriously believe that this is one of those sections in Scripture. Anyone could be, but this one especially, we need to hide in our hearts. And if you will take the time, you, you like challenges, don't you? I mean, it's not like reading the whole Bible through in a whole year, right? It's just one little section. But I'm going to challenge you with that. If you will uh, consider memorizing this passage. Um, we're going to practice every week. So, uh, I also have it up here on the, the uh, slide. So, if you don't have your little booklet, or if you prefer to look up there, you're welcome to as well. Uh, but we're going to read together all the way through Ephesians 1, 3. So let's uh, get started. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us before him in the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Fantastic. Heavenly Father, these are wonderful words for us, not only to read, but also to know, to believe, and to repeat. And I pray today as we study through this passage again, that it you be you our, as our teacher, that you would guide us through this text and show us over and over and over and over again the deep love you have for us. We thank you, Lord, for that. It's what we need in our day and age especially. 
as Christians living in an ungodly world. Encourage us with this passage, we pray, and teach us, as we know you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going into verse number three today, just as we get started. Now, in your little booklet, all these uh, various pages are for sermons yet to come, really. The the captions, blessed and chosen and all that. You, I mean, there's plenty of room to write, and if you need more, we got some. But uh, um, I'm still setting up some of the background information that we really, really need to understand in order to uh, approach this passage as I would like to. Um, what I have to share with you this morning, I, I've been praying that the Lord would give me the precise words to say these things. Um, last week I, I introduced our study and I gave emphasis especially to the enemy uh, who will do his best to confuse you, confuse me, to leave us defeated, discouraged, confused, uh, uh, to make us think that we are orphans, that God has abandoned us, that deserted us, that we have somehow lost our place in God's heart. And we know that the fact is that sin is terribly destructive. It always is, always will be. And our enemy takes advantage of the fact that we have sin natures. Even as believers, I wish they could just go away. But the reality is that they are there And all it takes is a nudge at times or even a push, and he could tangle us up in things that bring shame to our souls and leave us questioning God's love for us. Happens a lot, and you probably know that. Satan's favorite slander is to attack our identity in Christ. It is obvious in Scripture that he is against you. Today I want to lay a foundation to our study that is very, very important, and that is our understanding of the God who is for you. This passage uh, clearly identifies your identity, your position in Jesus Christ. The emphasis that we will have is on Christ. I want you to understand this. This passage where you sit at his feet and you hear and you see what he's done for you is to secure you in the position that he has put you in. He has done this. Let me show you just a simple picture here uh, as to the outline of what we're studying. There are three divisions in this little section from 3 through 14. Verse 3 through 6 emphasizes the Father. God the Father, how He has selected us. And it goes through some description phrases, like He has chosen us in verse 4. He has planned for us to be holy and blameless. He has predestined us to adoption, verse 5 says. And it says, in addition to that, by His kindness and His will. It ends in verse number 6 with a very fascinating statement. It's all to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Hold that thought for a minute. And look at section 2. Section 2 starts in verse 7, goes all the way through verse number 12. This emphasis is upon the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and how he saved us by his blood. We have redemption by his blood, verse 10 says. We have forgiveness of our sins. He has lavished on us. The end of verse number 5 starts this little phrase. He's lavished on us. I love that word. Lavished on us his grace. In verse also 5 and 6 there, as we move moving through it, he has made known to us his will. Again, by his kindness and his purpose, and how all of this is going to be summed up someday, it will come together in the end. And notice, he also will give us an inheritance. It mentions that. And all of this by his careful, pre-planning purpose of his will. Fascinating phrases. How does it end in verse 12? To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Folks, let me say something real simple before we get to point three. (laughs) If it were only God the Father's work in you to select you for Himself, if that's all we had, and all of it was designed to the praise of His glory, then you would really have a secure place in His will as His own child. Do you know that? If it was just the Father's work alone, that's sufficient. But it doubled. If you like doubling things, those commercials, everything you could buy for nineteen ninety five. I always wait for it. They say, but wait! <laughs> and then they say, we're sending two for the same pr-. Well, there's not always the same price, is it? But anyway, I always wait for that because I know it's coming. They're going to double it. They're going to double it. So this passage does that too. You also see the work of the Son in His effort to save you. That too is designed for the praise of His glory. The fact is, Christ did not die in vain. He did not die in vain. If his death was to secure you in him through redemption and forgiveness, then you have a position in him that will not fail. It will not fail. So you've got the work of the Father, and that's not going to fall apart. And the work of the Son, and that will not fail. And then now, guess what we can do? Triple it. You ready? Verse number 13 through 14 emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. And His job is to seal you in what God the Father and God the Son has done in your life. To seal you. He is the one who takes the word of truth and plants it in your thinking and plants it in your actions and plants it in your heart. He is the one who has regenerated you to life in Christ. At the moment you believe. Now, I cannot dissect that. Some people like to try. Because, honestly, salvation is a miracle. It's just a miracle. It's only what God can do. And the process of salvation, sometimes we put it in slow motion. And we say, this is how we determine which part did what, and what piece came in what order. And we try to figure all that out in salvational terms. And all I can really do is stand back and say, Wow, look what God has done. That's how I'm impressed with it. But there's something even more than that. Those who believe are also those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
He's not only the one who regenerated you in the first place, but he sealed you. He put you into the body of Christ. He indwells you. There's all kinds of great truths that we can learn along the way. But it's all about God keeping his promise. The promise, you know what it is. Because probably everyone in this room has John 3.16 memorized. The promise that goes with John 3.16 is that he who believes in him will have everlasting life. That's not a maybe. Will have everlasting life. The Holy Spirit is the pledge of that promise that you belong to God. Guess how it ends, verse 14. To the praise of his glory. Three times through. It brings up that phrase, to the praise of his glory. So if you step back and look at what I just explained, you can see this. Your identity, who you are in Christ, your position is set in the work of God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All three at work. The Father selected, the Son saved, the Spirit sealed. That's what we're looking at here. And it all comes out to a grand outcome to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. I don't want to minimize what salvation means to you or to me at all. But notice that when it's all wrapped up, it is the Lord who would get the glory for it. It is His glory. None of what He does in verses 3 through 14, is said as a potential. It's all spoken as a reality. There are no maybes. There are no hope-sos. There are no, well, we'll wait and see. (laughs) There's none of that in this text. It's a powerful, powerful expression over and over and over again of what you have in front of you, your position in Christ. The point of this is simple. The enemy is strong. The enemy is effective. He works hard to wrestle our security from us. That's his attempt. He will erode your faith. He will dissolve your hope. He wants you beaten. He wants you defeated. He wants you to cling to the reminder of your sinfulness and limp your way through life. He knows that sin so easily entangles us and prevents us from running. You know what the writer of Hebrews said. Chapter 12, many of you memorized it. You've heard it before. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping or fixing our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who did this for you. I'm going to keep reading through the chapter. You want to join me? Hebrews chapter 12, because I'm going to read through many other verses to follow. I'm in verse number 3 now. You might want to see these words as we go through them, because that's not where it ends in the conversation. There's so much more to it. Hebrews, you see verse 1 and verse 2 in chapter 12. We just read that. Start in verse 3. 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He paid your price. He paid your price. Why are we weary? Why are we losing heart? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which he addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. We always give the emphasis on disciplines because we don't like that word. Back up three and see the word loves. He who he loves. He who he loves. He disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. You see it? God deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Our good. That we might share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it. Afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What is God doing in your life? He is bringing out fruits of righteousness. He is sharing His holiness. He is dealing with you as sons because He loves you and Jesus Christ paid the price. That's an awesome section. So why do we get weary? And why do we lose heart? Our Father loves us. And the passage just says it all over. The key to it all, again, folks, is fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith. King James has the finisher of faith. He's completing it. When it's done, it's Him who has done it. He will complete it. He won't leave you half done. He won't leave you with parts missing. I hope you can see what this is saying. You see it in other passages too. I could take you to many of them. But one of my favorites all the time is Philippians 1 verse 6. And this is where our confidence is. Paul says, I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it. He will bring it to the end. He will complete it. He will. You know the difference between those two verses? Jesus, the finisher of faith, the completer, the perfecter of faith in Hebrews and Philippians, that he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's one little addition to the word. In the Greek, I love this, because uh, it says he will finish it, he will complete it, he will perfect it. And yet in the Greek, 
He adds a preposition before the verb, and it suddenly becomes an emphatic verb. And what that means is, you almost want to yell it. You want to underline it. You want to put an exclamation point after it. It says, he will intensely finish it. In other words, you're not crossing the finish line weary and worn out and whimpering. The point is, when you step into glory, there's going to be a shout of victory. Not a, oh, I'm glad I made it. You're going to see, this is what he's been doing. And the work in your life right now is part of the process of him finishing, finishing, finishing. And someday you will see the complete project and you're going to say, praise my God. Look what he's done. Look what he's done. It goes on and on like this in Scripture. I love to go down this road. I love to talk this way. I was brought up in a place, and I've shared this with many of you before. I was brought up in a church that brought us fear every single week. We lived under an umbrella of fear. We were told that we were constantly, constantly, constantly losing our relationship with God, and we had to get that fixed every Sunday. I mean, if the pastor was looking for converts, he's got the same congregation every week coming to Christ. <laughs> that looks good on notches. <laughs> you know, 25 saved again today. That's amazing. But we lived in fear. Lived in fear. These verses were never taught us. And it struggled in my heart. It struggled there. And I didn't understand it until I saw in God's Word. God demonstrates, not demonstrated, past tense, but demonstrates even right now, it's present tense, ongoing, always, 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 God is demonstrating His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That display of God's love is every single day, all the time. And that makes a difference, folks, when we're struggling. When we are struggling... When we're saying, I, 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 don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. My sin is overwhelming me. It's bearing heavy on me. I feel like God has just written me off. He says, I'm done with you. I'm moving on. Have a good life. And when we feel that struggle, more times than not, our eyes have shifted. You know, it's interesting about your eyes. They're designed that both of them go to the same place wherever they go. If they go opposite ways, we send you to a doctor. All right? If they go and you move your eyes this way, they go this way. The both of them, they go this way. But you cannot look at the Father and look at yourself simultaneously in the picture. It says, look to Jesus. But every time we start looking to ourselves, how well does that go? Isn't that where we start to struggle? We start to feel failure. We start to say, we don't measure up. We're not going to make it. We feel those kind of struggles all the time. That's why it's time for us in Ephesians 1 to lift our focus up and set it on the one who sits on the throne. Let's see what he did. Let's see what he's done. The one who loves you so much has involved every person in the Trinity to work to secure you in that love of God and to set you up for God's glory. That's what they're doing. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. Let me try to say it another way. 
We find in Scripture several places where we obviously see the Trinity at work. Now, you won't find the word Trinity in your Bible. If you're looking right now or doing a search button or something like that, you say, that word's not in there. Well, no, there's a lot of words not in there that we have used to try to explain something that really is beyond explanation. The fact that there are three persons in the Godhead and yet there's one, it's kind of a hard theological puzzle to put together because our minds don't work that way. But it's obvious, it's clear in Scripture that these three do exist and these three work together in, in the things that we say, well, these are very important things, like the creation of the world. We go to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, whoa, that's great. You know, God the Father, Michelangelo with the finger and the, you know, the whole thing. You see the pictures. And you say, well, that's, that's impressive, God the Father. And then we also see in the same passage, it's the Holy Spirit that's hovering over the place, right? But by the time you get to Colossians, it says, it's Jesus Christ who created everything. You go to John chapter 1, and it's Jesus Christ who created everything. And that doesn't negate the other two. That just shows you all three were at work, and look what they did. It's impressive, isn't it? When you stop and look at the nature of our world. Now, you may say, well, we got problems in our world. Yeah, we do. But who created the stars and put them in order? Who put this planet so it spins at a certain speed and you're not flung off of it? Who's the one who created plants and grass and the photosynthesis process and all the rest of it? Who's the one who created cells? Who's the one that created bodies that work like they do? That's our God. Every time I read about creation, I stand back in awe at what God can do with just his word. (laughs) He spoke it and it happened. That's what the power of the Trinity looks like. And then you say, okay, that's a pretty good example. But do you also know that all three of them were at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? I'm not going into all the verses and bring them all up, but I'll give you homework if you want it. Go find the very verses. God the Father brought his son back to life. God the Holy Spirit brought Jesus Christ back to life. Jesus Christ brought himself back to life. He laid down his life and he took it back up again. In other words, the power of the resurrection is due to the work of the Trinity, all three of them at work. I say, wow, that's impressive. Now, folks, brace yourselves, because all three of them are at work right now in your salvation. And if that doesn't scare you a little bit, just to think of the power of God in you, is he going to fail? No. There is power in the work of creation. There is power in the work of the resurrection. And when you go into Ephesians chapter 1, you find it again. You have the work of the entire Trinity there on your behalf. Selecting you, saving you, sealing you. They are not going to fail. They are not going to fail. I want... To encourage you in this passage. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up in your faith. I want to show you the strength of your anchor in Christ. It's important that you know it. I, like you, would prefer an easier life, right? 
Would you like it easier for you? Maybe? Somebody said no. They got it pretty good, huh? I didn't hear who that was, but that sounded good. We go, well, maybe this year will be better. Maybe this year will be better. Maybe the things that bear heavily upon us will finally lift. Maybe all these uh, viruses will go away. Maybe inflation will, will suddenly reverse. We, we have a lot of things. Maybe this year your vow was that I will be stronger against the habit of that sin that haunts me. Maybe that was a pledge in your own heart. This year will be different. Many years ago, almost, well, generally about a hundred years ago or so, the start of the 20th century, there was a dominant perspective given in the world of eschatology and times that things were going to get better. They were going to continue to get better and better and better in the church and in the world, and eventually it would go so wonderful down here that Jesus will come again. They thought they needed to set the table for him and, and clean it all up so that he could come again. They say that World War I kind of put a dent in that. And World War II buried it. They said, we're done with that perspective. But you know, interestingly enough, in recent years, some have gone and dug it back up again. It is becoming another thought that is dominating churches today. They mix it with social thinking. They mix it with politics. They're beginning to think that if we get rid of some of the plagues of society, we can eventually create this perfect world again, and that would bring Jesus down to us. And the emphasis is on what we're going to do to make things right so that he could come. And it may sound hopeful, folks, but it's not what's taught in Scripture. Jesus said these words just to his disciples in Matthew 24. See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. And that is not yet the end. For a nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. Have you sensed it? Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. Through verse 5, but realize this, in the last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, 
haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding even to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Folks, that could be the headline of the paper every single day. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. But evil men and impostors will proceed, not good news, ready? From bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. He wrote in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verse number 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Does that sound like it's getting better? No. The overall testimony of Scripture is that it's not going to be better. It's going to grow worse. You know what that means? I've got to get a better anchor or secure the one I've got. Jesus Christ is all I need, folks. He's all I need. And I need Him more and more every day. Don't be surprised. You see this in yourself sometimes. You see it in the world we live in sometimes. The fact is, it's not easy being a Christian in this place. It is not. And add to that the attacks of the evil one to prevent us from knowing who we are and what we can do in Christ Jesus. His job is to rob you of the truth of these passages. So that you don't know it. And you walk about like you're defeated and there's no hope. The last thing Satan wants on this earth is a mature believer in Jesus Christ. A mature believer in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to know your identity in Christ. He does not. He doesn't want you to live up to your identity in Christ. But your enemy is not stronger than the God who is for you. When Paul turns to the application section of Ephesians, go over to chapter 5 for a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. When he starts to put things into places, uh, what we ought to do, how we're supposed to be. A couple of verses stand out here especially. In verse number 1 and 2 of chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Those are great words, challenging words. But follow further down to verse number 8 and look at this word. Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Underline that if you must, so you see it. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I love that word, walk, in there. You know what? That's not a suggestion. He's not saying, here's a good option for you. It's what we call in the Greek an imperative. You know what that is? It's a command. It's a command. And you know what's even better about it? You say, really? It's present tense. Which means, keep on walking. It's a continuous aspect. 
Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep on walking as children of light. That's who you are. Children of light. You live in a dark world. You are a child of light. Keep on walking that way. Keep on walking that way. Don't stop. Don't stop. Who made you that child of light? God did. It was three persons of the Trinity at work giving everything, everything to make you who you are right now. God gave His Son for you. Jesus gave His life for you. The Holy Spirit gives Himself up as a servant in many ways. He's there to do what the Father wills and what the Son wills to bring it all about in your heart and in your life. All of them are giving, giving, giving to the mass that you might be that child of light. And you say, I don't know if I can do this. Who is in you? Who made you these? You see, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. These are powerful words, folks. You have been predestined. You have been adopted. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been informed of all these things and you have been made an heir. And if that's not enough, He also sealed you there. That's His work in your heart right now. In your life right now. According to Satan, none of these are yours. According to God, all of these are yours and even more. And even more. Your identity begins with Christ. That's what the passage is teaching us. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. The Father made it so. You've been selected by Him. The Son made it so. You've been saved by Him. The Holy Spirit made it so. You have been sealed by Him. Your identity is in Christ. Don't let the enemy steal it from you. Don't live today as if you're defeated. Don't let uh, who you are in Christ be slandered. Is it a struggle? Yes, folks, it is a struggle. Is it hard to walk as a Christian? Yes, it's hard. It's hard. But I love the promise in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's dependence. If you're trying to do this on your own, that's why you're frustrated. It's what God has done. So, let me ask you one more time. Would you consider memorizing the passage? Take your time to go through it. Maybe you can't get it word perfect. Try. At least read through it again this week. If you did last week, congratulations. You did your homework. Your homework for this week is to read through it again. Maybe you could read through it every day. It doesn't take but two or three minutes. Maybe you could set it someplace where you see it. Like, glue it to the refrigerator. Alright? Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it someplace at work, right there in front of your, well, on the side of your computer screen. 
put it someplace where you see it. Go over it again and again. And halfway through, somewhere stop and say, thank you, Father. And then another section after you do that, say, thank you, Jesus, my, my Savior. And when you get to the end, say, thank you, Holy Spirit. We're bringing this all together. Give Him praise, because after all, that's what it does at the end of every section. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Can we do that? Can we do that? How that is going to build our souls and help us to stand in such an evil day as today. Do this. I encourage you. Because I want to be convinced as you want to be convinced that He indeed has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm looking forward to. Next week we're going to talk about what it means to be blessed. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to have to talk through it again. But we're going to talk about being blessed next week. Heavenly Father, what good words you set before us. What a great thing it is to know that our God is for us. And all that you have done has been to bring us to yourself that we might be to the glory of our God. We are given a lot in Scripture for us to be mindful of, for us to be thinking of, that we're supposed to be living by. We're given a lot of encouragement, admonition, imperatives all over the place for us to live according to what you've called us to be. But Lord, I think that it gets more clearer to us the closer we pull to you. So I would pray, Lord, that our study here will do above everything else to draw us close to you. To know that spending time with you will change us forever. And we want that. We want to be strong in this evil day. We want to finish with a victory cry. We want to give glory and praise to our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who has brought all this together. Do your work in our lives, we pray, Lord, as we give ourselves to this text. Learn it well and learn to live it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.